You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. We doing okay? All right, I want to invite y'all. Oh, I'm glad. There we go. We get a little bit of response. I want to invite y'all to stand as we sing this out. How many know that the Lord is a man of his word? He never backs out on any of his promises. Is that good news? Uh, let's see this one out. Here we go. You're a man of your word. All things are impossible when we believe. All chains are breakable when we receive Yahweh. You keep your promises.
This morning. Come on, give it up for yes. Jesus. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Mike Nelson, and let me be one of the first to say happy holidays. We can say that now since Thanksgiving is now only four days away. Go Lions. Thank you for spending this hour with us today. We know there are a lot of things in your mind right now, like what this year's Thanksgiving spread will look like, maybe? We can all agree on turkey, but often the rest of our Thanksgiving spread is reliant on grandma's recipes that have been passed through the generations, or Aunt Karen's preference of pumpkin pie, even though apple is clearly superior. Mashed potatoes or sweet potatoes, apple pie, pumpkin pie, it's polarizing. It's confrontational, but we went there. We went to social media, the place where all debates are settled, to ask you, the people of Kensington, which of these Thanksgiving sides reign superior. Here we go. In the mashed versus sweet potato mashup, mashed potatoes came in a clear winner at 76%. Sorry, Aunt Karen. In the battle between green bean casserole and glazed carrots, the green bean casserole gets a seat at the table this year with a whopping 72% victory over glazed carrots. And this year, hopefully you're passing the rolls and not the biscuits because rolls won by a landslide. And when it comes to dessert, drum roll please, pumpkin pie just barely pulled ahead at 54% over apple pie. That is an outrage. Now hey, Thanksgiving may look different this year, just like everything else in 2020, right? but we are still abundantly blessed in many ways. In the spirit of Thanksgiving, a few Kensington families shared what they are thankful for in this season. Eloise, what are you thankful for? Thank in Elsa. Thankful for Elsa? Yeah. Super grateful for my wife, Maria, our three amazing boys, and our beautiful foster daughter. I'm so thankful for sunny days where I can be outside getting some fresh air, even in the month of November. I am so thankful for the support of my family and friends especially my sister and my mom. What am I thankful for? Fifty. This girl. For my dog, Bitsy, and 
and my bird Twitter, and that we have a house and food and water. I'm thankful for teenagers, even ones that indulge your mom to do this. At the top of my gratitude list this year is all of you. This community is unbelievable. You show up, jump in, and move out when things get tough, like you did just this past weekend with Thanksgiving baskets. Thanks to your generosity and willingness to lend a helping hand, we were able to meet the needs of 8,000 neighbors. Thank you for embodying the spirit of Thanksgiving as we continue to walk alongside families in our community. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And now, let's get ready for week four of How to Take a Hit. Well, hello, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you. And uh, how many people are thankful for the snow this morning? You're all sick. No way. No way. <laughs> but in the spirit of Thanksgiving, we thought it'd be a good idea to maybe do some uh, thank you notes, maybe some things that we're thankful for. I'm sure, Jalen, you've got some stuff in your heart that you're thankful for. Yeah. Yes. yes. And as my mom taught me to write thank you notes when, you're, when you have something to be thankful yes. for. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to write a few thank you notes. And, um, but I think in doing this, we need some music. Okay. Jamie, can you help us out there? I think I got something. You got something? All right. Yes, beautiful. That's the perfect tone. You know, I, I'm surprised that a talk show hasn't picked up this idea to do thank you notes. Maybe they'll get it from us. Maybe they will. Maybe they will. All right, ready? Thank you, gravy boats, for looking like a genie lamp that grants my wish for higher cholesterol. There you go. Come on, 400. Yeah. <laughs> Wish granted, 400's high yeah, for cholesterol. High. That's pretty high. All right, ready? Thank you, canned cranberry sauce, for looking like canned cranberry sauce, even when out of the can. How many of you would eat that? You're clapping. That's tradition That's right that there. tradition? Ocean spray Nothing tradition. like the ocean spray. <laughs> There's no tradition there. All right, here we go. Ready? Thank you, Detroit Lions, for, yeah, I got nothing. Yeah. I got nothing this year. I was up all night trying to think of what I'm yeah. grateful. I, could not, I couldn't finish that yeah. one. Yeah. Maybe they'll cancel the game. Maybe they will. All right, here we go. Thank you, electric carving knife, for giving the children something to play with before dinner. Jimmy cut his finger. Oh, no. It's a Thanksgiving travesty. Here we yeah, go. Yeah. Ready? Thank you, folding chairs. To be brought to the table at the last minute, it helps everyone realize who the least liked family member is. <laughs> Every year, I get the folding chair. How many people have the folding chair for you guys? No? Everybody likes you? Just the person you're sitting next to. All right, here we go, right? <laughs> Thank you, kids' table, for waiting for one of us to die so you can move up to the big table. <laughs> Come on, Uncle John, eat that more gravy, more gravy. Look at their faces, just waiting. It's terrible, right? <laughs> here, here we go. Thank you, sweet potatoes, for looking like regular potatoes, but just with a bad spray tan. That is the color of a bad spray tan, right there. <laughs> now, I understand that Danny Cox is not speaking today. Andrew Kim is speaking. Yeah, Andrew's in the Andrew, Okay, Andrew, Andrew's going to do a great job. He did a great job. But I think I'll do this one anyways. Okay. You ready? Okay. okay. Last one. Thank you, Danny Cox, for giving up your professional wrestling career to be our pastor. There he is, Danny Cox. <laughs> so that's it. Thank you, everybody. Give it up for Mr. Andrew Kim. Hey, give these guys a hand. Oh, man. Are you not thankful? Are we not thankful that Danny gave up the leotards 
And I think somehow that joke needs to, leave, to live on. And I love that. And I don't know how you're, you're doing right now, but at least today, with everything that is going on in my life, everything that's going on in our world, I definitely needed that. I needed to laugh a little bit, but also to be reminded of the things that I have to be thankful for. Because for me, it was just one of those weeks. And I was actually challenged to do this this past week, to just simply stop and to reflect and just to look around me and just to recognize the beauty that's all around me. Because even though we're in one of those seasons, the reality is, is that God is still continuing to work. And whenever he's at work, there's always beauty around us. And so there are so many things that we can be thankful for. And so as we head into this coming week, this Thanksgiving week, my challenge to all of us is to just take moments every single day and just to pause and to reflect and just to look around and to see what God is doing around us and to say thank you to God. And when we actually do this, when we express gratitude, there is a profound transformation that actually happens in our life as well. But something else that I'm thankful for is I'm so incredibly grateful that this past year that we have been able to continue to stream our services. And for those who have joined us online, so thankful for you and grateful that we've been able to connect and also to be able to come, to gather, to come together and gather in that way. But I'm also grateful that since July that we have been able to resume in-person gatherings. And of course, this past Sunday, a week ago, our governor, she imposed new restrictions on in-person gatherings that will continue on for another two and a half weeks. And as a church community, we don't necessarily fall under these restrictions, but still this past week, we as a leadership team, as staff and others, we came together to pray. And we made the decision to continue to have in-person gatherings moving forward. And we truly believe. And we truly do believe that this is the way that God is leading us. And one of the things that factored into this decision was that when we picked up and when we started in-person gatherings again back in July, we put several very important protocols in place. And these protocols have held and really amazing things have happened in that since July, we have not had a single COVID case stem from a Kensington gathering. And so we really do believe that moving forward that we can safely continue to gather in this way. But one of the uh, protocols that we did put in place is that we have asked everyone when they enter into our buildings and when they're in our buildings to have masks on. And I recognize that masks are very controversial, but our heart as a community during the season has always been, the, behind the mask has been to love and to serve other people because we truly do believe what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 25 that when we love and when we serve and when we care for one of the least of these, we are loving and caring and serving for him as well. And so we wanna say thank you for continuing to wear your masks. And of course, as we continue to move forward, that as things change, we will continue to reevaluate, we'll continue to pray, and we'll continue to keep you updated as things progress. But what I wanted to communicate to all of you here and those of you who are watching on stream is that I am so incredibly grateful for this community and that this year has been a crazy year where there has been so much controversy, there's been so much polarization. But what I have seen in this community and all of you is that so often that we have chosen unity over division, we have chosen to love and to serve others rather than ourselves. And I believe that has communicated a powerful message, the message of Jesus to the watching world around us. So thank you so much. 
And so today, we are in the fourth week of our series, How to Take a Hit. And today, we're going to be talking about what do we do when life just keeps on punching us over and over and over again? And how can we not be destroyed by these hits, but actually be transformed by them? And to really set up this theme for the day, LeBron's going to lead us in a powerful musical thought that really just sets this up. And so let's take this in together. So close to surrender to my enemies. 
Powerful song. And I love the chorus of this song. It always speaks to me every single time. Heart under fire, facing defeat, so close to surrender to my enemies. It always reminds me of someone who's at the end of their rope, someone who has taken hit after hit in life and is about to wave the white flag. But right when they were about to, it says, but love came from heaven to fight for me. When I am defenseless, you climb in the trenches, the trenches with me. And it's such a beautiful reminder that when we find ourselves in the trenches, and for so many of us, this season that we're in, it feels like one big trench, that when we find ourselves in these low moments in our life, in the valleys, in the pits, that we can lean into God in a greater way because he's right there with us. And that he gives us everything that we need, not just simply to endure and survive these seasons, but to overcome them and be transformed by them. And that's the power that we have access to in our God, that he is the one who is right there with us. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today as we continue on in our series, How to Take a Hit. And so would you join me in bowing your heads and let's pray together. And so God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that just as we heard from this song, this powerful truth, Lord, that when we find ourselves in the trenches, Lord, that you're right there with us. And I know that for so many people here and for so many people who are watching via stream, that's exactly where we are right now. We're in the trenches and we're hurting and it's hard and we're struggling. But thank you, Lord, that we can find hope in you and we can find joy and we can find love and we can find peace and we can find life, Lord, what we so desperately need in this season. And so, Lord, I pray that today that you would remind us of these things and that you would show us how we can lean into you in a greater way. Thank you, Lord, for constantly walking with us. And we pray these things in your name, amen. amen. And so at this time, we also want to receive our offering as well. And of course, because of what is going on in our world with COVID, we, um, we're not passing offering bags around, but there are still a number of ways that we can give and you see them on the side screens. And the first is by going to our website, kensingtonchurch.org, fall forward slash giving. We can also give via the app. And if you do not have the app, I wanna invite you to download it because it'll allow you to remain connected to everything that's going on in our community. And a third way is by texting the word Kensington to 77977 as well. And there's also a fourth way. There's actually buckets uh, with orange tops on them at every single entrance and exit. And you can place your offering in there as well. And my wife, Robin, and I, we give online the first of the month. It just comes out of our bank account. And we truly do believe the reason why we do it is that it is a continuation of our worship. And we also want to say thank you so much to this community because during this time, you all have been so extraordinarily generous. And I am so humbled by your open-handedness in the way that you have lived during this season. 
But let me, all, let me start by asking you all a question. Are there any boxing fans here? If you're a boxing fan, can you just put up your hand? There's like maybe five boxing fans here. Okay, so even if you're not a boxing fan, feel free to weigh in on this next question. Did you guys get it? Wow, I got like one pity laugh. Thank you, and a couple of claps. Thank you, I'll take it, right? That's a great dad joke, and I might throw in a couple more, who knows? So buckle up, everybody. But feel free to, so this is, let me ask you a second question. Does anyone know, when it comes to boxing, does anyone know what the shortest fight in history has been? Any guesses? Ten seconds. Ten seconds. Anybody else? Five seconds. Eight, three, I heard all of these things. So I am going to show you the shortest fight ever in boxing history. Take a look. Very much so. So we're set to go. Phil DeDrill Williams, 3-0. All three of his wins by way of knockout. And Brandon Burke, zero wins, two losses, one draw, and a heck of a looking ring attire, oh. and we're underway. Here we go. Oh, oh. Right out of the gate. The fastest no, I've ever seen in my oh, life. My. He's, he's not going to make it. And that was it. And so if you paid for the fight, that's what you got. And so it, was, it actually happened in Minneapolis in 2007 when Phil the Drill Williams, he knocked out Brandon Burke and get this one and a half seconds. And when I first saw that, I just felt so bad for Brandon Burke, the guy who got knocked out. Because imagine training for weeks, maybe even months, and the fight is like over in the blink of an eye. And if I was Brandon Burke after that fight, I might have thought to myself, maybe I should go do something else with my life. But who knows what he's doing right now? Hopefully something great. But then on the other side of the spectrum, let me ask all of you, does anyone know what the longest fight in history has been? Any guesses? 27 rounds. I hear that. Anybody else? 50 rounds. Okay. The longest fight ever, and I wish I could show you the video, but it doesn't exist because this fight happened back in 1893. And it was between Andy Cohen, not of Bravo fame, but another guy named Andy Cohen, as well as a guy, and he took on a man by the name of Jack Burke. And get this, this fight went on for seven hours and 19 minutes, and it was a total of 110 rounds. And so I guess back then, they didn't have a time limit, they didn't have a round limit, because they just kept on going on and on and on. And it actually started on a Friday night, didn't end until Saturday morning. Hundreds of people left because they were too tired. And many of the people who actually stuck around fell asleep. And you know how it ended? It ended in a no contest when both of these fighters were two days to actually come out of their corners. And can you blame them? Imagine getting punched in the face for seven hours and 19 minutes. But this is why I tell you this. Sometimes life hits us quick. And it feels like we're in a one and a half second fight. Life hits us fast, it hurts, it leaves a mark, but it's done, right? It's gone as quickly as it came. But then there are other times in life where it feels like we're in a 50, an 80, or a 110 round fight, where we're just getting hit over and over and over again. And life just keeps on coming at us and at us and at us. And it just feels relentless. And we're left asking the question, is this ever going to end. Anyone feel like that right now? Anyone feel like they're in that type of season? A lot of us do. And I feel like that's where I am right now as well. And this past week, it just sort of all spilled out. All the exhaustion, all the stress, all my feelings of feeling overwhelmed during the season, it all sort of just bubbled up and spilled out onto the people who I love the most. My wife and my kids went sideways. I found myself losing in on them and just feeling so incredibly impatient all throughout the week. 
And in this series, we've been looking at the life of a powerful leader in the Old Testament named Joseph. And what we see with Joseph is that he took hit after hit after hit. And when we picked up the story three weeks ago, we saw that Joseph was hated by his brothers. And the reason is they were jealous of him because he was their dad's favorite. And so they were gonna kill him But at the last moment, they threw him into a pit and they ended up selling him off into slavery. And Joseph found himself in Egypt where once again, he was sold to a man named Potiphar as a slave. And Potiphar was a powerful man because he was one of Pharaoh's officials. And over time, Joseph slowly gained his trust until eventually Potiphar put him in charge of his entire estate. And that the only thing that Joseph didn't have to be concerned about was Potiphar's wife. But unfortunately for Joseph, Potiphar's wife became concerned about him. And she tried to get him to sleep with her. But of course, she, but what we learned is that he ran away. He did the right thing and he said no. But she got angry, really angry. And she made up a story accusing him of sexual assault. And Joseph was thrown into prison. And so once again, this guy finds himself in a hole. The first hole he was thrown into by his brothers, this one by his boss. And I can imagine... Imagine being Joseph. You're sitting in that prison. And I can imagine Joseph sitting in that prison thinking to himself, you know what? I'm not going to be here very long. I'm not even going to bother to unpack my bags because I've been in this situation before. And just as God got me out in the past, I know he's going to get me out of this one as well, especially since this one's not even my fault. But when we pick up the story in the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible, chapter 40, these are the first few words of that chapter. And says, some time later, some time later. Meaning, if Joseph was thinking this was going to be a one, two, three round fight, he was sadly mistaken. Because now we were into rounds 10, 11, and 12. And it didn't look like it was going to end anytime soon. And so we're told, some time later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. And so Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. And so what we see happened with Potiphar happened in the jail as well. Joseph gets elevated once again to a position of authority and influence where now he's managing all of the prisoners. And then it goes on to tell us after they had been in custody for some time, Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had a dream. We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. And then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And so you know what they did? They said yes, told them their dreams. And they were weird dreams. And we're talking like those dreams that you have after you eat really spicy food right before you go to bed. And so Joseph, but thankfully for Joseph, God gave him the ability to translate and to really interpret these dreams. And so Joseph starts with the cupbearer and he says to the cupbearer, hey, you know what? God has shown you what's gonna happen to your life. And in the next three days, you're going to get out of here. You're going to be let out of prison. And you can imagine, this guy's probably like, woohoo, right? He's celebrating. Maybe he did, did a little dance. And Joseph tells him, hey, you know what? I'm not done. Because when you get out of here, Pharaoh's going to give you your old job back. But when this happens to you, Joseph told him, I want you to do just one thing for me. Just one thing. Don't 
forget me, remember me. And when you're standing in three days in front of the most powerful man in this nation, the most powerful man in the world, please put in a good word for me because I do not deserve to be here. And I can imagine the cupbearer in that moment was like, of course I'm not gonna forget you. Like we're buddies, right? Like I'm never, forgetting, I'm never gonna forget what you did for me. Right? I'm not gonna leave you high and dry. Don't worry, I got you. And so the baker, hearing this interpretation, he comes over and he says, Joseph, interpret my dream, interpret my dream, because thinking that he was gonna give him a favorable interpretation as well. And so Joseph does, and he says to the baker, hey, you know what, same thing's gonna happen to you. In three days, you're gonna be out of here. And the baker's like, probably like, yes. But when you get out, Pharaoh's gonna chop off your head and impale your body on a pole. No, right? This guy's probably like, prison's looking better every single day. And basically what Joseph said would happen, happened. But this was the cupbearer's response. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot about him. He totally forgot about him. Right? And when he got out, just three days later, just three days before, he was like, I'll never forget about you. Don't worry. He was Joseph's biggest fan. And then he doesn't remember and honestly, I don't think there was any malicious intent on the part of the cupbearer. There's probably so much going on. He was probably so happy. He was reconnecting with family and friends, going back to his old job and just catching up with all of these different people. And he probably just forgot. But one of the reasons why I believe that this happened was the cupbearer's relationship with Joseph. Their type of, the cupbearer, who he was to Joseph was, he was a fan, not a friend. And an important truth that we need to keep in mind is that seldom will our best, our best, our greatest fans become our best friends. Seldom will our greatest fans become our best friends. And this is the thing, though. This is the problem, and this is the reality. That for you and I, we love fans. I love fans, and you love fans. We love people who will tell us how great we are, people who will clap for us, people who will pat us on the back, people who will like and share the stuff that we post on social media. We love these people. But the problem with fans are, fans are fickle. Unless, of course, you're a Lions fan and then you're used to losing, and so that's a whole different thing. But you know those other fans. But this is the difference with, between a fan and a friend. Because a fan will love you for what you can do for them, but a friend will love you for who you are to them. A fan will tell you what you want to hear, but a friend will tell you what you need to hear. And a fan will tell you how great you are, but a friend will help you to understand who you are. And when we're going 20, 50, 80, 110 rounds with life, we need to surround ourselves with friends and not fans. And this past week, I was having a conversation about this with my wife, Robin, and she was telling me, and I was telling her, hey, this is what I'm planning to say. And she said, absolutely, yes, we definitely need friends and not fans when we're going through these seasons in our life. People who will stick by us, people who will help us, people who will walk with us. But she also said, we not only need to have friends, we also need to be friends, which I thought was so incredibly powerful. And that we not only have to, be, uh, we have to be friends and not fans to the people around us as well. Meaning we have to have the courage to tell them not just simply what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. We have to have the courage to tell the people around us not just simply how great they are, 
but to be willing to journey with them, to understand, to help them, to understand who they are, and not just to love the people around us for what they can do for us, but rather to love them for who they are to us. And for some of us, maybe when we look around at the people who are in our lives, maybe we look around and we see that we have a lot of friends around. A lot of these people who will walk alongside of us during when we're in the trenches. And maybe for others of us, not so much. But whether we have a thousand friends or whether we have one or we're somewhere in between, the great news for every single one of us is that we have access to the greatest friend in the world. And in the Old Testament, there was a man named Solomon and he is considered to be one of the wisest human beings to have ever lived. And this is what he wrote. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. Anyone ever experienced that? I have. But then he continues on by saying, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Who is that friend? And later on in the scriptures, we're told that it's none other than the son of God, the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, that he will stick closer to us than any other human being and that he will never fail us, he will never use us, and he will never forget about us. And that when we are going a hundred rounds with life, that we can look back in our corner and we will see him right there walking with us every step of the way. And I feel like that's so important for us to recognize that we have this friend because for many of us, we are in that place right now. And we may feel so alone, but that we would know today that we're not walking through this alone, but that there is a God who is with us, who is cheering us on and giving us everything that we need as we go round after round after round with life. But this is what's also so important. And that what Jesus also does is that he models for us the type of friend that we need to the people, that we need to be to the people around us. And that we need to be the type of friend that when our friends or when our family members, when our coworkers, whoever they may be, are going through and find themselves in the pits of life, that we are right there with them, loving them, helping them, and standing by them exactly the way that Jesus has done for us. This is what he shows us. We not only need friends and not fans, but we also have to be friends and not fans. And so in going back to Joseph's story, What we see is Joseph's in this prison, right? And he's asked the cupbearer, would you please put in a good word for Pharaoh? And nothing happens. And so what it then tells us is this is what happens to Joseph. It says, and these are incredible words, when two full years had passed, and we just read those words, and I read those words in probably like a second. But imagine being Joseph in this moment. He's in prison and he's put all of his eggs in the cupbearer's basket thinking this guy could finally get me out and nothing happens. He's just left there abandoned and rotting away. Two full years of being there. And I don't know whether a round translates into a year, but you got to imagine that it was at least one for one. And so what we see is life throws two more rounds at Joseph. And when we're going toe to toe, with life. We have to remember that God has a plan. But at the same time, we also have to remember that he has a timeline and rarely is that timeline the same as ours. And one of the ways that we can endure the hits of life is not to expect that it's going to be over after one or two rounds. And maybe when you hear that, you're like, oh my goodness, that is like the worst thing to say, right? I'm so glad I came to church today because now I'm encouraged and inspired. 
But this is the thing. Rarely do I find that there are situations where pessimism serves us better than optimism, but I truly believe that this is one of the situations. And Admiral James Stockdale, he is one of the most decorated um, army, or actually Navy officials in U.S. history. He's an incredible, incredible person if you've seen any of the interviews that he has done. And Admiral Stockdale, he served in the Vietnam War. And in that war, his plane was shot down and he was taken as a prisoner of war. And he spent eight years in one of the most brutal prisons where on a regular basis, this man, he was beaten, he was starved, he was tortured, and he was threatened with death. This happened to him over and over again. But he made it out and he survived. And in his best-selling book, Good to Great, Jim Collins interviewed Admiral Stockdale. And one of the questions that he asked him was, who didn't make it out? Obviously, you made it out, but who are the people who died? And this is what Admiral Stockdale said. He said, the people who died, the people who didn't make it out, they were the optimists. Oh, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. And then they say, we're going to be out by Easter and Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again. And they died of a broken heart. And this is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with a discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. And this is known as the Stockdale Paradox. And what this paradox ultimately says, what the Stockdale Paradox ultimately says is that we have to embrace the facts, but never lose the faith. Have to embrace the facts, but never lose the faith. And I believe that was what Joseph's mentality was when he was in prison and that he embraced the facts, that it was really, really hard. He was in prison and who knew? And he didn't know when he was gonna get out. And he didn't know whether this was gonna go for another one round, five rounds, 10 rounds, 50 rounds. And so he buckled up for the long haul. But at the same time, he never lost his faith in God, never lost faith that God had a plan and that he was with him even in that prison. And if we, in this season that we're in, if we don't just simply want to endure and survive it, but rather we wanna overcome it and we wanna be transformed by it, we have to have this same mentality as well. We have to embrace Reality. We have to embrace the facts that right now, what so many of us are going through is really, really hard. And we're heading right into the holiday season. And one of the things that is going to be hard is that it's going to look different in some way, probably for every single one of us. And that will involve a sense of grief and loss for many of us. At the same time, there are others of us who are just tired right now. And we want life just to go back to normal. We want our kids to go back to school. We want to be able to eat in a restaurant again and do the things that we did before this pandemic. And then there are still others of us who have loved ones who are sick and loved ones who have unfortunately passed away. And the thing is, is that this isn't going to end tomorrow. It's not going to end next week. And unfortunately, it's not probably not going to end a month from now as well. And so we have to embrace the fact that we have to buckle up for the long haul in many ways. But at the same time, we not only have to embrace the fact, but we also have to never lose the faith. And one of my favorite words in all the scriptures is the word Emmanuel, and it means God with us. And one of the places that this idea is found is in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, in the very first chapter. And I love how the message version of the Bible translates it. And that it says the word, meaning Jesus, he became flesh and blood and he moved into the neighborhood. 
And what John is trying to tell us is that what Jesus did was that he entered into human history and that when we say yes to following him, he moves into our life. And he's never gonna leave. You're never ever gonna see a moving truck outside because he's always going to be there. And because he is there, we can always know that he is with us and that he knows exactly what we are feeling, exactly what we are experiencing, exactly what we need. And he gives us the hope, the strength, the love, the life, the peace that we need to move through these seasons. But at the same time, he not only gives these things so that we can embrace them and so that we can take advantage of them, but also for us to share with the people around us, the people who are hurting as well. We have to embrace the facts, but never ever lose the faith. And so going back to the story of Joseph, Joseph's in prison for two more years, two more years, he's in prison, just stuck there. And what we see in that verse is that it tells us is that then Pharaoh had a dream. And he has a crazy dream because again, I don't know what was happening in Egypt at the time. Maybe everybody was eating spicy food right before they went to bed. But he has a crazy dream too. And in his dream, he sees a bunch of cows and some of the cows are fat and good looking and other cows are skinny and ugly. And so Pharaoh's like, what in the world is going on? And so he invites all of his people in who he knows can interpret dreams. And he tells them, hey, this is what I dreamed last night and tell me what it is and tell me what's going on. And every single one of them are like, mm, I was like, I don't know, do you know? I was like, I don't know, do you know? And nobody can tell him. And then the cupbearer, he has this epiphany and he's like, Pharaoh, sir, I know a guy. And so Joseph, meanwhile, he's still in prison. He hasn't gotten anywhere. And so Joseph is called by Pharaoh into Pharaoh's presence. And Pharaoh tells him his dream and Joseph nails the interpretation. And he basically tells Pharaoh, this is what is happening. God has shown you what is going to happen in the next 14 years. And that in the coming seven years, there's, it's going to be a season of abundance. The harvest is going to be crazy. Stock market's going to go through the roof. The economy is going to be humming. But in the following seven years, there's going to be a severe famine. And so he tells, so Joseph tells Pharaoh, this is what you have to do. In the next seven years, you have to save and save and save and save so that in those next seven years of famine that your people can get through. And so Pharaoh hears this and he's like, you know what? That's a great plan. And he promotes Joseph and he tells Joseph, you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. And so Joseph, in a moment, he goes from being in prison to now being in the palace. He is promoted to now being the second most powerful man in Egypt, really the most, second most powerful man in the entire world. And so three weeks ago, when we first met Joseph, what we saw was that he was this teenager who was arrogant and cocky. And largely it was because of the environment that he was raised in, I believe. That had a huge part in it because he was coddled, he was spoiled by his dad. And he was a teenager. And now fast forward, this guy gets this promotion, second most powerful person in all the world. And he's probably about 30 years old. And in between, crazy things have happened. Joseph has almost been killed. He's been sold as a slave, accused of sexual assault, and he's been rotting away in prison for years. But even though all of this has happened, and now he's in this incredibly influential position, 
But as he moves into this position, no one, not even Joseph, could have imagined that this was the destination of the journey God had him on. One that would not only impact his life and his family, but also the people of Egypt, the people of the world, and generations to come. But the thing is, is that when we look at Joseph's life, one of the things that we see was that before God was able to put him in this position, he had to free him from his, he had to free him from his prison. And this prison wasn't one that was made up of steel or iron or bars, but rather one that was made up of his hurts, habits, and hangups. And honestly, I don't know, with all the hits that we are taking during the season, I have no idea how God wants to use them. I have no idea how God wants to take everything that we've experienced and ultimately create something beautiful with them. But when I look back at the scriptures and when I look at my life, and I would venture to guess that it's true of you as well, that one of the ways that I have seen God use these hits in my life and in so many other people's lives, including in the scriptures, is that so often how he used them, how he uses them, he uses them to break us free so that ultimately he can set us free. He uses them to break us free so that he can ultimately set us free to do what he has created us to do. And maybe some of the things that he wants to break us free from are things like arrogance and pride and self-reliance. Maybe for others of us, it might be an addiction. Still others of us, it might be greed or anger or unforgiveness. But I truly believe that God wants to do something extraordinary with every single one of our lives. But oftentimes there are things that are holding us back. And what if God wants to use this season and what is happening in our lives, all of the good and all of the bad to break us free so that we could then move into these things and do what he has created us to do. And there are so many people, and we know this, there are so many people right now in our region and in our world who are taking hit after hit after hit. And one of the things that has been really cool to see during this season are organizations who have come and who have really stepped into these situations and we've been able to partner with them in providing help for people, not just here in this area, but really all around the world. And one of the organizations that we have had the privilege of partnering with in this season is a local organization called My COVID Response. And in this area where there have been a lot of need and where a lot of people have been just taking hit after hit from life, my COVID response has come alongside of these people and helped them not only to survive, but truly to overcome. And in the process, they have introduced people to the powerful and the transforming love of Jesus. And so we wanted to take a look at this story as to who they are and what has happened. And so let's take a look together. My COVID Response is a network, really, that um, brings together other organizations to help meet needs of people started during the COVID lockdown, um, just to help make sure that people were taken care of, particularly in Oakland County. My husband and I are case managers with My COVID Response. So we um, are connected with people who are in need, who signed up to say that they're in need. Um, for the most part, it's food, but at the beginning, it was things like 
you know, emotional support, just checking on them, seeing how they're doing. Sometimes it was addiction support. Sometimes it, it was things other, just other things than food. My name is Dustin McClellan. I serve as founder and CEO of the Pontiac Community Foundation, a work that has been dedicated to building a brighter future for Pontiac. And uh, when the pandemic hit our doorstep, uh, we pulled together a group of community members, community leaders, organizations, and partners to form the uh, website and work we now know as My COVID Response. In the midst of the pandemic, we've seen some of the, the greatest need we've, we've ever seen. Uh, people that were already considered marginalized or, or in need have had their needs go to the ultimate extreme. And so we've seen tremendous need and tremendous loss, but at the same time, we've seen tremendous collaboration and people coming together and serving and giving and helping. And we're seeing people meet the need like, like never before. Carmen is the, um, she's kind of the, we call her the mama of the Hispanic, the Latino families in, in Pontiac. She is the liaison between the school district and all of the Spanish-speaking families in Pontiac. Now she is a case manager with my COVID response as well. And she has a bulk of these Spanish-speaking families. I've been with them from the beginning. I mean, immediately when they opened it in March, I've been part of it. And I always feel that God brought me to Pontiac because I've been working in Pontiac for that many, many, many years. Carmen's been through a lot over the last few years since I've known her. Um, there's been um, some heartache and some struggle. My husband was employed as a contract for Chrysler. He told me when, when the shutdown came, he told me, well, I'm sure it's going to be two months. It was only two weeks. And after two weeks, he lost his job. Um, it's difficult for me to talk about how difficult it is when you have the main provider in your home you know, losing their job, when you still have to support all of these families that you want to do. And then you start feeling mad at God because like, why, why is all of this happening if I'm trying to do the work for you? My oldest son was in China. He was working in China when all of this happened. But then we couldn't bring him home. Then I have another kid who is uh, graduated from Oakland University in April, and he couldn't find a job. He started working like uh, in the fields, like putting fertilizer on the fields. So it was uh, very hard for him. My husband, one day he went to the doctor and in the hospital they told him that he needed to have a, some kind of surgery because they feel that he was going to have a heart attack. And they say he might need to have a heart surgery. So to me that was like the worst I could do. I have to say that I was very, very mad at God at that moment. Very, very mad. I, I feel like I was being punished. I say, how am I going to start school, working? I cannot take any leave of absence of my work because I need my salary. How am I going to take care of my husband? But I have wonderful friends, so my friends were coming. No, you don't worry. So everything was settled for the surgery already, and then we received a call from the doctor, and the doctor says, we don't think that your husband needs the surgery your husband is going to be okay with medication. So I say that was not, uh, that was, that has to be God's hand. That's why God was telling me, you don't have to worry about things. Since then, I just feel in a lot of hope. Like my husband has been doing DoorDash and then I've been helping like on the weekends, I shop for somebody else's food. So we have ways to survive. 
But these families doesn't have ways to survive, and we are giving them that. Honestly, if it were me, I don't know what I would do. There's grace on her life. God has given her grace in these moments that have been really, really, really hard, and he keeps her going. But it does feel like a punch. It feels like she's just like this punching bag, and she just keeps, <laughs> you know, like, and she just, she takes it, and she's like, all right, let's go. She's tired sometimes, but she keeps going, and honestly, um, she's met Jesus. And I believe that her love for the Lord and her gratitude to him um, is sort of that catalyst because she says so many times, I know God has me here for a reason. And she, because of that, because she knows that God has her there, she won't stop until he says, you're done. I think that the work that Carmen does and has done um, with the school district, with my co-response, she really embodies what what Pontiac is all about. And, and even at our core, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of pain, um, rising up and giving back is, is what it's all about. And so I'm grateful for people like her. I'm grateful for, for folks at Central uh, La Familia that, that give back. I'm grateful all of all of the partners that have said, you know, we're gonna do whatever it takes to make sure that people need have their needs met in this season. I think probably the biggest thing that I have learned over these last eight months is the necessity, it's not even really an option, <laughs> the necessity of keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. That's, he's the, he's, you know, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. If we take our eyes off of him, we start looking at what's going on in the rest of the world and it'll take you down, it'll take you down. And you can't have your vision split like that. You have to stay focused on Jesus because he's the only, he's the only thing that matters. And from him comes every other good thing. I think when uh, the church gives back um, and gives back in the way that, that people have done through my cohort response, they represent the very heart and character of God. When we first were beginning to help in the midst of this crisis, I saw myself you know, as a seven-year-old kid, having come from the city of Pontiac and what my family would have gone through in those moments uh, if a pandemic would have come to our doorstep. And so uh, we launched into action, but we launched into action not just for action's sake, but because it's the cause of Christ. It's his heart to help others that motivates us to do what we do. And so, you know, I'm grateful for Kensington Church that and people that embody that heartbeat. And I hope and pray that we can continue to do that work, not only during the midst of this pandemic, but even after it, as we all come together, we all rise together, the church united to meet the needs of people in communities like Pontiac. It is such a privilege to walk alongside leaders like Carmen, Jocelyn, and Dustin as they move out and care for the neighborhoods around them. You know, Dustin's right, when we do this kind of work, we are doing kingdom work. We are doing work that is rooted in the church. It's what Jesus designed the church to do. And I couldn't help but think, as I'm watching this video of a passage found in Matthew 6, is Jesus what they usually call the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this, Seek first or strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. As we seek God first, 
All of a sudden, the, his community is activated, and we start to see the need around us, and we move out uh, to do the work of God. Man, I was just so inspired by that, and I hope you were too. And I hope you also know that it's your generosity, our generosity as a community, that fuels these kinds of movements. And so as we now come to the end of 2020, I would ask you this. Would you pray and consider giving a year-end Christmas gift to Kensington? Because it's that gift that could fuel the rest of our year as we do this kind of kingdom work. And I love what Dustin had to say. And when he was talking about the spirit of the Pontiac community, and it's a community that in the midst of hurt and pain has continued to rise up to give back and to love and serve others. And when I heard that for the very first time, I was thinking, you know what? That's not just the spirit of the Pontiac community. That's also the spirit of this community as well. And what I've seen over and over and over again, not just this year, but all throughout our history. And I've been here three years. I've seen it so often. And through the stories previously as well, I know it has happened. And that what you all have been about is about even in the midst of hurt and pain, continuing to rise up to give back and to love and to serve others. Because what Kensington has always been about has never been about me, but about we, us coming together in order to reach the one, the one who is far from God. And it is because of your generosity that this has been able to happen, that we've been able to partner with incredible organizations like My COVID Response in reaching people with needs in this area. And so as we come to the end of this year, we want to ask if you would consider giving a year-end gift to Kensington. And my wife, Robin, and I, we're praying about this right now. And we're going to be asking, we're asking God, God, what do you want us to do? How do you desire for us to be involved this year? And so I want to invite you to come with us on this journey and to ask God and to pray and to ask those same questions. Because when we give, it truly allows us to impact the lives of people, not just here in our city, in our state, or even in our nation, but truly all around the world. And it really is a privilege to be able to partner together in this way and to impact lives in this way. And so thank you. And so if you would like to give, before I actually forget, there are a number of ways to give as well. And the first is by going online to kensingtonchurch.org forward slash gift. We can also give via the app, or we can also text the word Kensington Christmas to 77977. And in this video, something else that Jocelyn mentioned just really struck me, and that I thought it was really powerful what she said, that during this season, it's so important for every one of us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Because when our focus comes off of him, and it becomes focused on the things that are happening around us, it's so easy for us to become overwhelmed. And as I mentioned, that's exactly what I experienced this week. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that we are reminded of who he is, that he is good, that he is kind. And as Jalen and the team are gonna lead us in a moment, that he is faithful as well. And we are reminded of these incredible and powerful truths. And so, but before they lead us in this song, I wanna invite you to pray. And let's pray today. And I would love to pray for our community. So God, we thank you. We thank you that this is who we, who you are, Lord. That as we're gonna hear about in a moment, that you are so faithful, Lord, and that you stick closer to us than any other human being, Lord, ever could. Thank you, Lord, that you never abandon us. And I pray, Lord, and I know there are many people here and watching on stream who are really struggling right now, who are in that trench right now, in that pit, Lord, just like Joseph was. And they're wondering, when is this ever going to end? 
And so, Lord, I pray that in this moment that you would remind them, Lord, of your faithfulness and of your goodness to them, Lord. And that rather than loneliness, God, that you would replace it with that truth. And that you would also bring people around, Lord, each of us during this season, Lord, who could be a physical representation of who you are because we need those people as well. We are so grateful for you, Lord, and that you never, ever leave us or forget about us. Thank you. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to sing this last song together, but before we do, uh, you know, right before we got started at the 9 o'clock service, uh, Audrey was supposed to be singing with us uh, up here this weekend, and so she had been here for rehearsal and things like that, and then she received a uh, phone call from her family saying that her grandfather was not doing well, and that the family needed to come to where he was. And so as we're in this series called How to Take a Hit, that, that is just one of the many hits that have taken place in our community. And I know for many of you sitting out here in this season, you've experienced great loss. You've experienced a lot of things that have knocked you off of your feet. I have as well. But one thing that we can hold on to is the fact that the Lord is faithful. Scripture tells us that he remains the same. He never changes. Seasons may change. Our situations may change. But one thing we can hold true to is that the Lord never changes. But uh, Audrey has been such a, a great leader in our community. So I, I just want to take a moment. I know Andrew just prayed. Just to pray over her and her family. And also pray over our community for whatever it is we may be experiencing in this season. So if you all would pray with me. God, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I thank you that even though we may change, you never do. Lord, I'm grateful for that. And Lord, right now, I just want to lift up Audrey and her family to you. Lord, I want to just lift them up to you that you be exactly what they need right now, that you bring that peace that only you can give. God, I pray that peace over our entire community, that you be exactly what we need you to be. Lord, you know our situations, you know exactly where we are. Lord, I'm just asking that you just show your face and show your faithfulness to us. Lord, we know that your track record never fails, that you are always there and that you never leave us. And Lord, we thank you and we thank you for this hope that we have only through Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, we said together, amen. Well, I want to invite you all to stand as we sing this song out as a reminder of God's faithfulness. Here we go. You're faithful through the ages, yes you are, yes you are. Oh, so faithful, thank you Lord, thank you Lord. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant and of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you'll do just what you said. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness. 
sings unto the setting sun, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Though the earth may pass away, your word remains the same. 
powerful, powerful moment. And Lachelle, with everything that's going on right now in your life and with your knee and everything, thank you so much for leading us. That really was powerful for me. Such a powerful reminder for all of us. And so as we enter into this Thanksgiving week, that we would remember exactly what we just sang about, that great is God's faithfulness to us, not only as individuals, but also for us as a community. And that this isn't just a maybe, but it is a promise. It is an absolute certainty that no matter what we face this week, that the God of the universe will be walking with us. And so I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here. For those of you who are joining us online, grateful for you as well. I want to invite you back next week as we're going to be wrapping up this series as well. But have a great Thanksgiving week, everyone. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.